Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon on what Jesus said about following him. It will play in just a moment, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that is coming up at our church. On March 2nd, we will have our Ash Wednesday service, and I would love for you to be a part of it. If you're unfamiliar with Ash Wednesday, there is just a couple of things you need to know. First, it is the day that Lent begins. Lent is the 46 days before Easter where Christians have traditionally focused on preparing their hearts for the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Second, our Ash Wednesday service offers people a chance to make decisions about what they will give up, what they will pray for, and what they will give in observance of Lent. All this will be done through scripture reading, song, prayer, and personal reflection. I think it's worth your time to be a part of the service. Again, it will be on March 2nd at 7 p.m. I'd love for you to join us in person. You can find all the information you need at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. If you can't be with us in person, I'd love for you to participate online. Again, all the information you'll need is at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So if I was like, if you love me, you will, and then I, and I said, you know, the next thing, you would, you would really, really pay attention to that next thing, especially if you knew I was serious and not joking and not being manipulative. I mean, that would be, those would be, if you, especially if you loved me, you know, or liked me anyway, like the, the next words out of my mouth would be, would be really important. And, and I think that's just true in general, right? Like if we love someone and they're like, if you love me, you will. And we know that they're not being abusive or vindictive or whatever. You know that like, this is just a really big deal to them. Then, then, then you would, you would pay attention to it. And that's exactly what we have from Jesus today. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you will. And I'm not going to tell you what he says. You might know, but I'm not going to tell you yet. But if you love me, you will. And I think that makes this passage really important because we need to know how Jesus fills in that blank. I mean, if you love me, you will what? Like, what, what is it that Jesus wants? And it's, it's especially important when you think in terms of what we're looking at here in this sermon series. Like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus or a better follower of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus more closely and more fully? And, and so if you're trying to, if you care about that question and you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, live something out in response to that question, then, then you would want to know what Jesus says when he says, if you love me, you will, uh, because, because if you care about that question at all, then you you love Jesus, and, and so you're going to want to know the answer to that question. Now, it's interesting, the, the, the context here, for those of you that haven't been around in this series, this is like the last 24 hours before Jesus, you know, is going to get crucified, and, and most of what's happening in this, this series, this mini-series from the book of John that we're doing, it all takes place at the Last Supper, and uh, Jesus has, has uh, last week we talked about this, he, he stopped, paused in this section where he's talking about how to live for him. And he talks about Judas and, and he kind of points out Judas and how Judas is going to betray him. But, but then he comes back to teaching his disciples in John 13, 31. And he begins by saying that if he is, uh, that he is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify him at once. Uh, and then he says he's going to 
be with them just a little bit longer, and then he's going to go somewhere that they cannot come. And, and you can read those first few verses on your own, but this is where I want to pick up the story in verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, love one another. Notice the repetition there, like he really wants you to, to pay attention to what he's saying, that we should love, love one another. Now, it's, it's, this isn't the answer to that question where Jesus said, what is he going to say after he says, if you love me, you will. But, but he does here show us one of the ways that people will know if we are his disciples, his followers. In other words, this is one of the big ways that people will know that we do love Jesus. And that is if we love one another. And, and he says how we ought to love one another. And it's like he loves us. Wow, that's difficult. I mean, we, we already have the example of the foot washing, right? And he, he set that up for us as an example that we humbly, sacrificially, tangibly serve one another. That's part of loving like Jesus. But even bigger than that is, is the very thing that makes us want to follow Jesus in the first place, the gospel, uh, the story that we are sinners and because of that sin, Jesus stepped out of the glories of heaven and he came to this earth that is so filled with evil and struggle and some of the things we just prayed about. And he stepped into this earth and he lived here. And then at the end of his life, he willingly was arrested, beaten, tortured, mocked, crucified, killed to save us from our sins. And he says, love like me. That's a, that's a big, big calling. I mean, we got to love sacrificially. We have to love, you know, really. I defined love many years ago, and it's stuck with a lot of people, so I'm going to keep using this definition, but this is, how, this is how I define love based on what I read in Scripture. Love is them above you as their good you pursue because of their value. Love is putting somebody else above you, making them more important than you for their good, not just because you want to make them feel good, but actually for their good. And you do it not because they've earned it or that they deserve it or because, you know, you gain something from it, but because you recognize that person's value. And this is what Jesus did. He, he looked at us being his, his creation created in his image and likeness. And he said, they are valuable. And so I will go down there and I will make I will place them above me and I'll, I'll die for their good. And, and Jesus now here calls us to follow suit and, and to love people. Love is not, I just want to make this clear, it's not liking somebody, it's not enabling somebody, and it isn't just sacrifice, but it is sacrifice for the good of another person as you recognize their importance and their value, an importance and value that is inherent because of how God has created them, and, and, we recognize that love because of what Jesus did for them by dying for them, right? And so Jesus here says, look, this is how, this is how you're going to know, how people are going to know that, that you are my follower, and that is the, if you love people like I love. Now, big, very important. I, would, I mean, so many things like this, if you're like me, and, and kind of the two biggest ideas here are, are like this for me. You can read it. You can hear me talk about it. You can hear me say it. We got to love one another like Jesus loved us. And then you can think nothing about it ever again, right? 
Good idea. I like it. I, mean, I don't think anybody here disagrees with that's a good idea, that we should love one another. Nobody's going to be like, I hated that sermon. Terrible thing. Like, I can't believe that jerk was trying to get me to love other people, right? Like, we just kind of go, yeah, that's good. But, but what I would hope is we read it. I mean, and especially in the context of this series, like, what does it look like to actually be Jesus' disciple, to live as Jesus' disciple? And here Jesus says, this is how people will know you're my disciple. If you love one another like people, like I loved people. And, and, and I guess I would just ask you to ask yourself, am I loving others the way that I believe Jesus has loved me? I mean, am I really sacrificing for the good of others because I recognize their inherent value? Or, or am I like everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus and I love, you know, some people and don't love others or I, I you know, do nice things for people when I think that I gained something from them or, you know, I mean, are all my relationships driven by what I can gain or do I just love people that are easy to love? I mean, I, I, do I love people like Jesus or do I just love people like everybody that doesn't follow Jesus? And if there is no difference, then there should be a change. You need to try to make a change in your life. And the change is not, I'm telling, like, this, it's just a decision. I mean, honestly, I think we think of love in these romantic kind of terms like, I, I'm going to pray that I feel like loving more. And that's just not a biblical idea. You just choose to value other people and to sacrificially serve them for their good. That's what love is. And so if you're not loving like Jesus, then start loving like Jesus. And then it continues. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? They're totally, by the way, not paying attention to the big points Jesus is making here. They're, you'll see this. They're just totally, they're completely concerned with where Jesus is going. Feels like something I would get caught up in. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So in review, Peter's like, where are you going? She's like, you can't come with me. He's like, I will come with you. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus is like, nah, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny knowing me three times before the rooster crows. And guess what Peter does? He does. Now, we're going to come back to the Peter story later as we move into the, you know, the final moments of Jesus' life. The next sermon series is going to be called Passion. We're going to look at this story where Peter does deny Jesus more. But I, I, I want to, I guess I want to use this prediction by Jesus here uh, to just point to you the contrast between Peter and Judas. Last week, I talked about Judas denying Jesus, turning in Jesus, being a traitor. Uh, and, and I think that Peter is very similar in what he does. Now, he doesn't go to the religious leaders and turn Jesus in, but he does deny knowing him emphatically and passionately. Like, of, of all the, the things that kind of are done to Jesus by people he knew, and was friends with, like, it goes Judas and then Peter. 
And I talked about last week how, how I believe that Judas, even Judas, if he would have turned to Christ for forgiveness and he would have repented, that maybe we could have seen him in heaven. And there's this, this big contrast in, in how these two men respond to the terrible things that they do. Judas tries to pay penance, quite literally throws the silver down like you can have it back and then he buys a field and then he commits suicide. Like He tries to pay for the punishment of his sin. He tries to find forgiveness in his own actions. Like if I give the money back, if I feel sorry enough, if I kill myself, maybe then I can feel better about this terrible thing that I have done. Peter, I mean, the only thing we really know is he, he turns to Jesus. Now, the resurrection is a major part of that, right? But, but he turns to Jesus. And, and I think that this contrast between these two men and, and how they try to find forgiveness is, is really the contrast in, in most people. Like there's two choices. Like you can look for forgiveness through your own penance or you can find forgiveness through repentance and coming to faith in Jesus, these are really the choices that people have. You can hold your sin over yourself forever and feel guilty and, 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 and self-destruct because you, want, you know that you need forgiveness or you can repent and, and you can turn to Jesus who has died for your sins. And if you love Jesus, I think that the latter option is the one that you'll always choose, not just for your salvation, but in every moment and season of sin, you'll, you'll turn to Jesus for your forgiveness and not to your own you know, self-sacrifice because your own self-sacrifice will never, will never get you the forgiveness that you so desperately desire. Only Jesus can do that for you. Uh, the story continues, the conversation really continues, even though the chapter switches. And so in John 14, one through four, we read, do not, listen to these words, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I think, do not let your hearts be troubled. I mean, that's, those are very important words, right? I mean, I, Jesus is about to leave these people, and, and you know, he's only gone for three days this first time, but, but, but he knows that the response is going to be troubled hearts. And I think Jesus knows the same thing for us right now, that we all struggle with having hearts that are troubled, that are uh, lack peace, that feel turmoil. Um, I mean, there's so much to be troubled over, right? I mean, COVID, the economy, war, our families, you can just go down the line. I mean, there's a, we could list a million things, right? And, and I would hope that in the midst of this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples who hung out with him while on earth, when he's preparing them for life apart from him, now not completely apart from him, we'll see that in a minute, but from his physical bodily presence on earth, life apart from him in that way, he says in the middle of that, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I think he would say it to all of us today, you see everything that's going on, it's all awful, but do not let your hearts be troubled. And he gives them a reason why. 
And it says, my father's house has many rooms. And he says he's going to prepare a place for them. And, and I think it's so, it's, it's hard, but it's important. If we're going to have hearts that are at peace, not troubled, then we must remember that this world is not our eternal home if we're Christians, but instead we must recognize, think about, dwell on, consider the fact that Jesus has gone into heaven to make a place for us, to make a home for us. I mean, the language I'm sure is figurative, but, but it's a beautiful concept. He is going away in order that he can create a home for us. I'm in this weird position right now because um, we're, we're moving out of our house. We've lived in this same townhouse for a, a very long time, I think nine years. And, uh, and the guy's selling it that we've rented it from. We don't know at all where we're going. And so I'm just packing. It's a weird feeling. We're, we're going to be okay. I see some worried looks. Um, <laughs> we have some nice boxes to move into if we need to. Um, but but we, uh, we're, we're like just packing it. And I like literally have ripped the decorations off the wall. And like, uh, like we, we don't know where we're going. And it's, a, it's kind of a horrible feeling. Weird. It's just weird. And, and I think that that, that honestly, we'd feel so much better about it if we knew we had a home to go to, right? And we will, again, see those worried looks. But, but like, if we knew where we were going, there's comfort in that. And Jesus says here, look, this is not that fun, but don't let your hearts be troubled because I am creating a better home for you. I am creating a, a better future for you. And so when we look around at all of the things we don't like and, and that scare us that's going on in the world, it's not that we, that we have peace in our hearts because these things don't suck. It's because we know that ultimately Jesus has left us, but he is preparing a new and better home for us, a home that we will get to live in for eternity and it will be perfect. It will have no war or sorrow or pain or suffering or mourning or sadness or tears or death or sickness. It won't have these things that we hate so much while we live here. And so as Jesus' disciples, so much of this is, is kind of, you know, like command driven. But, but here he's like, don't, I love that. I take that command. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because Jesus is making a better home for you if you've given your life. To him, if you've chosen to be his follower, Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not where, know where you are going, so how can we know the way?" Jesus answered, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." I'm, uh, I'm just blown away by these disciples. Sometimes this, the conversation, Jesus is saying these incredibly big things, and they're like, "So are you going down the street? Like, I mean, like, is there a map?" You're like, can we get this? You know, like, how do we get there? And, and, and they're so dense sometimes. And I think I'm the same way. That's why I find some humor in it. I'm sure that, that Jesus says some incredibly big things to me. And I'm like, huh? Uh, but, but he uses this, this confusion to make this incredible statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and it's one of the more famous verses in the Bible. But, but I think that often we, we don't, we don't consider it. And, and for me, as I read this, having moved through the book of John, right? We've been in, studying the book of John for some six months now. And, and, and now we see these words, way, truth, and life. And, 
and they make some sense. I mean, the way, Jesus is the way to the Father. That's been a big idea. You come to the Father through him. He says it again here. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want a relationship with God, there's nowhere else to look. It has to be done through Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross. That's the only way. But also, as he calls himself the truth, there's theological background for us. I mean, Jesus is the the truth. He is the way that we know truth. He is the one that gives us truth. I mean, he is how we decide what truth is. A big question that he'll be asked when he's on trial by a guy named Pilate. What is truth? What's Jesus? If you're trying to find truth in things that don't align with Jesus, then it's not truth. It's false. Jesus is the way that we know what is true. His life teaches us what is true and what is good. And he is also the life. He is, we've seen this. He is the one who created all life, but he's also the source of new life. Jesus is the source of all life. Uh, without him, there is no life. We would not have been created. And without him, there is no second life. We are destined for an eternal death, as it's described in the book of Revelation. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, it's a, it's a big, there's, there's something here. I mean, he's saying who he is and, frankly, who John has been describing him to be for some 13 chapters already. He is the God-man, and he is the way to heaven, and he is the one whom we learn truth from, and he is the one who offers us life and gave us life in the first place. He goes on, and he, he, uh, <laughs> Thomas says, like, Hey, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, whoa, don't you even know me? Like, if you know me, then you know the Father. Makes this other declaration of unity. And then uh, Philip says that. Uh, Philip says that. And, 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 and the conversation keeps moving. And Jesus is like, can you just believe, you know, already? Can you just believe in me? And he says, and I love this. He says, just believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And I would just, I've pointed this out throughout our, our movement through the book of John, but these signs are so important that, that John is writing down for us. He's writing down these incredible miracles, these works of Jesus in order that we might believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, and by believing we might have eternal life. And Jesus does not shy away from saying, just look at the works, like I'm doing these miracles, so can you just come to a belief? And man, I just, I want to just follow in that charge and just say, please, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you don't believe what he's done, then, then please pay attention to these works that have been recorded by people who knew him, uh, eyewitnesses. These are eyewitness testimonies. I think we have incredible believe, reasons to believe that. And so it, just look at this. I mean, water to wine and healing people from a distance and healing people born blind and bringing people back from the dead. I mean, these are reasons to believe in Jesus. And Jesus continues, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, remember, we, I just said, like, there's been incredible works in this book. I mean, incredible things that John has written down for us that Jesus has done. And now Jesus says, you will do even greater things than these. Now, there's a lot of debate about what that means. Is that a collective idea for the church? Is, are we missing something? But I don't care about all that. I just want to just really 
focus on what I think is at the heart of it. We need to be asking Jesus to do things. That's our word for the year at this church. We're just we're talking about asking a lot, and uh, that there's a variety of meanings behind that. But it, but the center of all of it is that we just feel like we're at a place in our church's history where we need to ask God to do some really big and important things. And we're inviting you to be a part of that. We want to ask God for great things. And and, and this afternoon, I, I would just say, what isn't happening because we aren't asking? Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a tension, right? Like, how does prayer go with, you know, God's plan and all that? But I think it's so important and it's crystal clear in scripture that we need to be asking God to do things. And as you look around in our world, in our church, in your life, I mean, I would just say like, what isn't happening because you aren't asking? What isn't happening because you aren't asking? Now, when it says in Jesus' name, that's within his will and his character and nature and and you asking for a car, like, that, that isn't necessarily within line with what Jesus would want for your life and for this world. And so this is not some magic bullet, but I do think it's a really big call for us to be asking God to do incredible works and, and, and trusting that he is going to do through us even greater things than he did while he was on earth. But we have to ask for them. And then he says, if you love me, keep my commands. I want to jump down a little bit in the story because he repeats this, John 14, 18 through 21. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has, has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. If you love me, keep my commands. Seems really simple, but I wonder how many people that are Christians actually take this seriously. I mean, what a statement by Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then, and then I wonder, like, do we ever actually think about keeping the commands of Jesus. This is, this is how I was convicted this week. Do you have any idea how many commands Jesus makes? Have you ever taken time to consider, like, how many are out there? I had no idea. So, like, you're not alone. Like, it wasn't, I mean, it's not just you who has no idea, right? Uh, th- now, there's a debate about, you know, how, what's a command and what's not a command and all those things. But I found a guy uh, that came up. He identified. It was a really well-written article. 49. 49 commands. I feel like we got a fighting chance of doing 49 things. Like that doesn't seem, you know, insurmountable like as a, as a thing to do. But I don't think we ever care to like read them or pay attention to them, write them on a piece of paper so that we could try to live in such a way that we keep Jesus' commands. Now, I, I think there's a couple of important things here. One is like, like there's no use in just trying to live out his commands if you don't love Jesus. Like this is this is like this is if you love him, keep his commands. I think some people have it backwards. They don't actually love Jesus, but they're just like, I should probably keep his commands. That's not what this is. This is like Jesus saying, if you love me, and he's assuming that his disciples love him, then you will keep my commands. You're gonna try to do what I've told you to do. And, and so for those of us in this room, those watching online that that already love Jesus, 
This isn't how you earn your way into heaven. This isn't how you start loving Jesus. But those of us that love Jesus, that believe what he, in what he did for us on the cross, that have given our lives to him, like his big command here, like if you do that, then keep his commands. Keep his commands. I love that this guy identified 49. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read them all, but like uh, I'm gonna read some of them. And, and I just would think like, what if we just, what, I mean, how different would we be in our lives? People talk about, how can I grow in my relationship with God? Like, I think we have a pretty good answer here. Like, just go find the 49 or so commands of Jesus and say, every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to try to do these things. I'm just going to try to live this out. I think we'd see huge growth. I think, honestly, that, that the negative view that, that our world has of Christians that is earned, the part that is earned, like, I think some of that would even go away. I know that's a big shot for a sermon, but like, I think if we took this seriously, it would change everything. I, I mean, follow his example. It's, you know, kind of difficult, like as far as like knowing exactly what that looks like in the moment, but it gets, it gets more specific, more tangible. Don't lust. Keep your word. Don't be afraid. Honor your parents. Don't be greedy. Forgive others. Invite in the outcast. Respect authority. Teach others to live like him. There's some 40 more out there. But like, I think like as you read those, right? I think the silence in the room, there's two kinds of silences when you preach. One is like people are listening and one is that people don't care at all. And I feel like that was a, like you were listening there. Like as you hear those words, like, like don't you just go, huh, I think I'm not really actively trying to do those things. I knew they were out there. I mean, if you've been a Christian a long time, I know those are out there. But like, am I really... Am I really forgiving people? Am I really trying to avoid lust? Am I really keeping my word? Not just not lying, but like let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like when you tell somebody you'll do something, you actually do it. When's the last time I invited in the outcast? Do my Facebook posts suggest that I respect authority? Am I teaching anybody to live like Jesus? Have I even tried? Am I teaching my kids to live like Jesus or am I parenting just like everybody else? Is fear taking over my life? Am I honoring my parents? Maybe you have parents that you don't feel are honorable, but there's no room for that in this command. You honor them anyway. Am I greedy? I would define that, by the way, as never thinking about God and how you spend your money. Or am I generous? I mean, do you love Jesus? I don't want you to, I hope most of you say yes. If you do, very simple. Figure out what he's commanded. I can see the list of 49 commands that this one guy found, and then just try to live them out. I think it's a pretty simple idea. Hard to do on a daily basis, I'll admit that, but I don't even think we try that hard. 
I would also just homework, like I would love for one of you, two of you to, to read through all the gospels and write down all the commands. I think this would be a great thing to do. And if you, you find 50 and we'll write a new article and we'll one-up this guy, but like, I would love, for, I mean, you send that to me if you do that. I, I found great value in reading the New Testament with very specific questions in mind. One that I've talked about a lot here is like, what does God say about church? And then just saying, I'm reading the New Testament. I'm trying to find that out. Like, I, I, I would love for one of you to do that, but, but all of us should be like, what has Jesus commanded? I'm going to try to live that out. Now, that is hard. And so listen to what Jesus says next. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'm going to skip ahead again because Jesus comes back to the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There's that again. And do not be afraid. I love these two sections because they teach us so much about the Holy Spirit. And there's been mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of John, but, but it hasn't really been there. And what we believe is, as Christians, and I've, I've talked about that as we move through John, is, is in this God that's uh, a trinity, that he's uh, three beings, one God, and, and his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we have, we've talked a lot, Jesus and the Father and their unity and Jesus being fully God and fully man. But the Holy Spirit has not been involved in the conversation hardly at all until this point. But then Jesus reveals so much to us about this third mysterious being that, that makes up the Godhead. He's sent by God at the request of Jesus. He's an advocate or one that is called to one's aid, he is the spirit of truth. He lives in us and with us. He teaches us and he reminds us of Jesus' words. And so all in all, the point that Jesus seems to make here is, hey, if you love me, follow my commands, be obedient to my commands. And oh, by the way, while that's hard, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. He's going to help you do it, but he's also just going to help you remember and understand what I've already said. And I wonder if we've even taken this seriously, like, like what this says to me, this is how it's described, right? Like there is some still small voice inside of me that probably is constantly trying to draw me back to doing what Jesus has called me to do, commanded of me to do. And I just wonder in the noise of this world, if we're at all paying attention to that voice that is inside of us that is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You're supposed to honor your father and mother. Or if we've just learned to shut him up. Or if maybe we haven't spent enough time in prayer, in the word, and just thinking about God. If there's not enough silent time in our lives, then we don't even have a clue what the Holy Spirit sounds like when he talks to us in the first place. And so we live our lives not following Jesus because the Holy Spirit has been quenched inside of us. Jesus is like, hey, if you love me, follow my commands. And all of us are like, that's really hard. And then Jesus is like, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you and to remind you of these things. And, and for me, I'm like, I think that if I had my piece of paper with the 49 commands of Jesus, it's a lot to tattoo on my arms, I feel like. like I'd have to get bigger. Um, but like, like if I had my piece of paper, I had it written on the wall, and I was like, I'm seriously going to do that. Then I walked away and I went outside. 
without the Holy Spirit, I'll be like, that would be it, right? I'd be like, oh, I stepped in, you know, a puddle. Now the whole day's ruined. It's like, now I have to think about everything else. But with the Holy Spirit, like, they're reminding me, like, I think I could go through my day better, just as Paul says, praying without ceasing, just interacting with the Holy Spirit and being like, hey, here's the situation, God. Like, I don't know, like, that authority's being an idiot, <laughs> I think we felt some of that, right? Like, like they're not doing what you'd want them to do. That seems clear to me. And the Holy Spirit would just come back and be like, but here's how you can respect them anyway. Or you go out and you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to be scared today. I'm not living in fear. And then, and then you pick up a newspaper. You probably didn't. You got on Google, right? Like, and you're like, oh, there's a lot to be afraid about. And, and then you just be like, God, I'm going to try not to fear this. And like the whole, I think the Holy Spirit wants to like whatever that looks like. I don't know if I'm articulating it well, but I think there's a there's an interplay there between us making an effort to follow the commands of Jesus out of love for Him and the work that the Holy Spirit does to actually make that happen when we're trying. I don't think that the Holy Spirit often it happens occasionally. I feel like I've experienced this in my life. I don't think the Holy Spirit is all usually like hey. You know, like, I, I, you're going to pay attention to me. He's usually just there being a still, small, quiet voice. And most of us are, like, not even trying to listen or to follow the commands in the first place. And so we never even think about it. And we go through our day living like everybody else, like people who don't love Jesus, even like people who hate Jesus. And so what I would say for all of us, to all of us, me and myself included, is if you love Jesus, and I really hope you do, then figure out what he's commanded of you and try to live it out, but recognize that you cannot do it on your own. I, I, I don't think we could live out one of those commands on our own. We need the work of the Holy Spirit, and we must do a better job of, of being filled with the Spirit, as it says in the Scripture, of walking in step with the Scripture, of listening, sorry, the Spirit, of listening to the Spirit and, and actually allowing him to help us. When we're listening to just the noise, the work of the Holy Spirit is drowned out, I think. It's not like a Bible thing. It's just my, that's just what I see. It's just what it seems like. So to go all the way back, like, I mean, we need to love one another. That's one of the commands here. And and maybe that's at the heart of all the commands. I think it is uh, in Jesus' words. But, but there's a lot of other commands. And, and I would say first to people who, who aren't Christians, like there's a tendency, even in Christianity, even for those of us who follow Jesus, to put the commands ahead of the love. And I would say don't do that. Like first love Jesus. And the way that you come to love Jesus is, is you believe that, that he came to die for your sins. That's the story in my own life. Like I fell in love with Jesus as I recognized that I needed a savior because I had done so many things that were antithetical to God's will in my life. And, 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 and then I recognized that he had sacrificed everything so that I could be saved from those sins. And, and once I came to that realization, then I loved Jesus. I loved him, not just like believed in him, but I loved him. And, and if that's you, first of all, come to that place. If you've never come to that place, don't start trying to follow all Jesus' commands. Recognize that you haven't and give your life to him and believe in him and accept him for your salvation. But, but when you have, 
fallen in love with Jesus, then do your best to know what he's commanded of you and do your best to live those things out with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray that that will happen for us in our church. Lord Jesus, um, it's, it's, it's hard to know like how to grow and how to live more fully for you. Or at least, we tell, at least I tell myself that, God. And, and yet I don't think that I spend enough time just thinking about what you've actually commanded of me. And, and, and so I pray, Lord, that, that you would forgive me for that. Um, and God, I pray that you would convict others of that if it's true in their, their lives, Lord. I pray that you would convict them of, of not following your commands. And if they're not Christians, Lord, then I pray that that would bring them to a place where they recognize that they need a Savior. And, and God, you would, by the power of your Spirit, that you would... Uh, draw them, as it says in this gospel, draw them to yourself, Lord. And I pray, God, that this would be the moment that they give their life to you and and accept the forgiveness and all that comes with that forgiveness from you, Lord. And and then for those of us, God, that that are Christians, like just help just move us forward. Help us to to be convicted in such a way that we decide, God, uh, that we are going to repent and make a change. Let us be like Peter after he denied you, and let us, God, just just run to you, just run to you, um, and, and and do our just come to a place where we're going to do our best to actually do what you want us to do, Lord. And as we as we make that effort, I I pray, but I also trust that you will help us because it's promised there that the Holy Spirit will. Will will do the work that needs to be done to help us actually live the way that we want to live, uh, because we love you. And Lord, as I say all that, I, I'm reminded that that we only love you because you first loved us. And I am so thankful for the love that you have given me for every person, God, on this earth. I ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen.